Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called People of Hope, a study in 1 Thessalonians. In this series, we will see that even in trials, the way of Jesus offers us encouragement and hope. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, last Sunday, I'm just reflecting. We've been scattered all week, and now we're gathered again. Just reflecting, how fantastic was it to have Pastor Roy Newman with us? I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. It just expands the kingdom of God when we can hear from other voices, and I'm thankful for our partnership with them. I thought about texting Roy this week and asking if he could come back this Sunday. I figured he'd have some little thing going on with his own church or something, so... So grateful for him. Hey, as we prepare to think about what God has to say to us today, I want us to think about several things that are impossible to do. Impossible to do. Did you know it's impossible to fold a piece of paper more than seven times? You so want to try right now with the message notes, right? (laughs) Just wait till after the service, more than seven times. It is impossible to bend your pinky without moving your ring finger. You can go ahead and try that. In some way, it's like you can't hold it still. It is impossible to breathe in and talk in a normal voice at the same time. Y'all can try that too if you want. It is impossible to lick your elbow. We're not going to try that. Impossible. It's impossible to tickle yourself. And it's impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. Impossibilities. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we read God's word and it seems like we come across things that are impossible. And the scripture we're going to look at today would be one of those verses you might look at and say, I can't do it. I can't do that. I can't be joyful always. I can't pray continually. I can't give thanks in everything. I can't do it. And we're in a series called A People of Hope. And those three commands that we're going to look at this morning are vitally important to live as people of hope. Because I don't know about you, but my default setting is not to always be joyful or to pray continually or give thanks in all circumstances. I was thinking about this. If I was writing my autobiographical verses that follow these, it would say, Be joyful when I feel like things are going well. Pray when I've exhausted all of my best efforts. Give thanks when things go my way. But what if I told you, what if I told you that what we're about to talk about is not impossible? It's not. And if we learn how to practice these commands, it helps form us to become more like Jesus. And find a better way to live, better than their default setting. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your devices. We are in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. It's where we've been the past 10 weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we are today, verses 16 to 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You can pull one of those out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is on page 958 of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So as a reminder, I want to put a map up on the screen. Paul had spent a couple of weeks with this church. He planted a church in a town called Thessalonica, 
And then he was forced out of town and he's been gone for about a year. And then he wrote them a letter, the letter we're looking at, to encourage the believers in their faith and remind them how to live the way of Jesus until he returns. And today we begin looking at some final instructions. We'll finish these next week. And you can almost feel Paul coming to the end of a letter when you're writing a letter and you're starting to come near the end of it and you, you wanna hit some points that you want people to remember. And you can almost sense Paul is saying, remember this, remember this, remember this. This is important. So would you read with me what he wants them to remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, you can read it in the first grade box on your notes or on the screen. It says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Three commands. They all share some common characteristics. If you're following in your notes, they're all in the present tense, so they're all continuous action. They're all continuous action. And because they're imperatives, they're commands, they're, they're meant to be commands, not suggestions. They're not suggestions, and they are habits. They are habits that we can cultivate rather than tips for crisis management. Author Mark Howell says this, these are not Habits, the Christian is to practice occasionally. These are identifying characteristics that mark a Christian life. And if that's true, if they are habits we can cultivate that should mark our lives, then we need to understand what Paul's talking about. And to do that, we're gonna follow this progression on all of these commands. What it does not mean, what it does mean, and then how we can practice the command. So the first command, if you're following in your notes, is always be joyful. Always be joyful. Other translations say rejoice always. And this is perplexing because as followers of Jesus, right, given life's hurts, its pains, its sorrows, how could a person possibly be joyful always? And if it means walking around with a bounce in your step or a smile on your face, then we have a problem because Paul didn't live like that and Jesus didn't live like that. And this verse would contradict other places in the Bible that tell us to weep and mourn. So always be joyful if you're following in your notes. Does not mean deny your feelings, put on a happy face, and never feel sad. It doesn't mean you can't say, I'm struggling here. It doesn't mean you can't pour your heart out to God to say, this is really hard. And I think some of the confusion around this command is centered around what we mean when we use the word joy. Webster's Dictionary, I want to put this on the screen, they define joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Listen, that definition will set us up for failure to obey this command every time. I prefer the definition of joy given by Pastor Rick Warren. If you're following in your notes, he says, joy is the settled assurance. It's the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence 
that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it's the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Springfield made national news during the pandemic. I don't know if you saw these signs floating around Springfield, but I'll put a picture on the screen for you. Did you see these in different neighborhoods? Yeah, these signs were so popular because I I think they captured what our hearts long for, this deep-rooted joy, this assurance, this quiet confidence that everything is going to be okay. These signs went up when our circumstances around us were crazy. And we needed to be reminded everything's going to be okay. And I don't know about you, and I don't know the background of the creator of these signs, his faith, but The definition by Pastor Rick Warren and these signs remind us that as followers of Jesus, if you're following in your notes, joy is not a feeling. It's a choice we make by focusing on Jesus. It's a choice we make, who he is, what he's done for us, that he is in control and everything will be okay. And if you're following in your notes, this is why our joy is not generated from the outside in. That's happiness. Our joy is generated from the inside out. Right? We don't rejoice about our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in a different way than the world rejoices. And this stands in stark contrast to Webster's definition or what our culture would tell us, that our joy is based on success or good fortune or what happens to us. Christian joy is not based on external circumstances. Listen, feelings can accompany joy, but they're not based on those feelings. Our joy is generated from the inside out. So here's several ways to practice this. How do we choose joy? And it involves a renewing of our mind. Paul would talk about this in Romans 12.1. How do we renew our minds to choose joy? It's by constantly reminding ourselves that God is in control. If you get the promotion at work, thanks God, you brought this about and my joy is in you, not this job. What about you lose your job? God, I'm trusting that you have something in store for me that's even better. I choose joy in this situation and I'll keep my eyes focused on you. What about a great life event, new marriage, a baby? God, you're the giver of all good gifts. Thank you for this gift and remind me that my joy is in you, not the gift. What about a death in the family, a family member, a loss? God, I don't understand this. This is so hard, but my joy is not based on a feeling or circumstances. My joy is based on your promises and your character. My feelings are telling me otherwise, but everything will be okay. Right? We we train ourselves in this, and we always bring it back to the character of God. And this is why we say it all the time. It's critical to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. 
And I've thought about this a lot this week as I've thought about joy. When I have a lack of joy in my life, when I have a joy problem, I think I can peel that back to a trust problem. I'm not trusting in the character of God and I'm letting my circumstances determine how I feel. The last word about practicing joy is from a a theologian named John Stott, one of my favorite uh, writers who said, I love this. He says, Paul is issuing not an order to be happy, but an invitation to worship. Man, if we see joy, choosing joy as an invitation to worship Jesus based on his promises and character can change our perspective. We're commanded, we're invited to be joyful always. Would you read those verses again with me? Verses 16 to 18, either on the screen or in that box. Would you read this with me? Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The second command we're given is never stop praying. Other translations say pray without ceasing or pray continually. Another seemingly impossible command. How are we supposed to do this when we have so much going on every day of our lives? So let me ease your mind. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul didn't practice that. Neither did Jesus. And just like we did with always be joyful, let's, let's state what we don't mean by pray continually. If you're following in your notes, never stop praying does not mean perpetual activity of kneeling in prayer. Doesn't mean that. What Paul's talking about here, if you're following in your notes, is a way of life with God. Life with God. I love Philip Yancey's definition of prayer. It's keeping company with God. How do we keep company with God all day long in every activity of our lives? This takes practice, but it is possible. Let me give you several examples. I've talked to a number of people who practice what they call the hours. They practice at 6 a.m. They pray at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 6 p.m. They just pause to pray. Sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for a minute. They're keeping company with God. Some begin with scripture and prayer in the mornings before grabbing their cell phone. That might be a practice that you want to implement. Start your day in scripture and prayer. Listen, it may help you schedule prayer. And I just want to bust this myth. It is no less spiritual to schedule prayer into your calendar. It's not. What I've found is if I don't schedule prayer into my calendar, it will not be a priority and something else will fill that time. I schedule prayer into my calendar. And what I've found helpful is to begin each day in God's word and prayer. It aligns my perspective I'm more likely to have an attitude of prayer throughout the day. And then I intentionally pray. I just remind myself before meetings, before phone calls, before going home from work for the day, before a hospital visit, 
God, help me. I need your company right now. Give me the fruit of your spirit. Guide me. Help me see someone the way you see me before going shopping. I don't know what will work for you, but it is possible to form a habit of praying continually and practicing life with God. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. And if we want to become more like him, we need to learn how to practice this as well. How do you create that habit in your life? Paul says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The third command we're given, if you're following in your notes, is to be thankful in all circumstances. Again, unusual, seems almost impossible with everything that goes on in our lives. And once again, let's start with what this does not mean. If you're following your notes, it does not mean we give thanks for all circumstances. We don't give thanks for tragedy, for injustice, for loss. And when we read the verse carefully, Paul says we're to give thanks in everything, not for everything. And when we pay attention to the word in, the command speaks more to our perspective toward life than it does our attitude toward our circumstances. So no matter what struggles, trials, or tests occur in our lives, we are to give thanks, and that is only possible by living with a resolute belief that God is in control of everything every detail. And that's why if you're following in your notes, giving thanks in everything is a practice in trusting God and his good character. This is very similar to always be joyful, right? We are joyful. Joy is generated from the inside out, not our external circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord and we don't give thanks for our circumstances necessarily, We focus our attention on God in those circumstances and we give thanks for who he is. This verse is important to me and my family. In uh, in 16 days, we'll remember our twin daughters who would be nine years old this year. Nine years old, man. I think fourth grade, I think about what they'd be like, who they'd look like, what they would play with, what it would be like to have girls in the house. If only having three boys. And we chose this verse, you can see this to be uh, on their headstone, to remind us that regardless of the circumstances in our lives, we can choose joy and give thanks. Listen, I'm not thankful that happened, but I can give thanks because my thankfulness is a practice in trusting God and his good character, not the situation I find myself in. I give thanks because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. I give thanks because as we studied in chapter four, a day is coming when Jesus returns and all those who have died in Christ will be resurrected and given glorious new bodies and we will all live, those who follow Jesus in the presence of the Lord reunited with loved ones we long to see. Man, I hope he comes soon. That's what I give thanks for. And what I've learned through difficult times, and this is really important. I think this could be helpful 
to a number of you. If you're following in your notes, we don't need to feel thankful before we give thanks. It is a practice we step into even when we don't feel like it. And by faith, we can say, I trust your good, God, that you know what you're doing in this situation. It will work out for my good. I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. We give thanks to God in all circumstances, not necessarily for them. And you know what happens when we step into this practice of giving thanks and gratitude? This is amazing. Practicing gratitude can change the neural structures in our brain. Like it rewires our brain to give thanks. There's been a flurry of scientific research on the effect that gratitude can have on our brains and bodies. And these studies have discovered that simply by writing three things you're thankful for each day, writing them down, or writing a letter of gratitude to someone in your life each week has the following benefits. It unshackles us from toxic emotions. It reduces pain. It improves sleep quality. It aids in stress regulation. And it reduces anxiety and depression. It's almost like God knew what he was talking about when he commanded us to practice gratitude. Of course he did because he's the one who created everything, including us. And could it be, could it be, not only because it helps us become more like Jesus, but could it be that we're commanded to live this way because God knows what's good for us? That living joyful, prayerful, and thankful lives is the best way to live. So let me give you just one practice for this. And parents, this is fantastic leading up to Thanksgiving. You can participate in this. Practice writing down three things that you're thankful for every day. Maybe it's at the dinner table, breakfast table, before bed. Three things that you're thankful for every day. And don't just tie them to good things that happen. That's our default. Review your highs and lows and give thanks in those circumstances for God's character and his presence in the midst of them. Three things. We can grow in the practice of giving thanks. It is possible. So would you read our verse yet again? Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul concludes by saying this is God's will for you. It's his will for your life. If you're following in your notes, practicing a lifestyle of joy, prayer, and thankfulness is God's will for our lives. I mean, in John 17, the gospel of John, Jesus even prayed that we would have the full measure of his joy within us. He longs for us to have this. And if you're like me, you've, you've wondered and you've asked, what's God's will for my life? And Steve talked about this a couple weeks ago, and he said, God's will for our lives is that we would become more like Jesus. And these three commands we've talked about today are included in that. God's will for our lives is that we would become more like Jesus in living joyful, prayerful, and thankful lives. Because we see this in the life of Jesus. 
And I want to talk about God's will for just another minute as we close. We ask this question, right? God, what's your will for my life? What's your will? And I just want to tell us as we're gathered through God's word, we know how he desires for us to live. We know God's will for our lives. I'd say we know 95% of God's will for our lives. It's in his word. I know when we say we want to know God's will, what we mean is in the really big decisions, God, tell me what to do. Should I buy this house or marry him or her? Should we move out of state? Should we spend money on this? And listen, what I do and I think what we do is we want God to speak to us in the major decisions and reveal his will, but many times we refuse to obey what we already know is in his word. I listened to a teaching on this and I appreciate what the teacher said. He said these words, we should ask God to reveal his will to us in major decisions. But as we obey the teachings of Jesus in the cumulative habits of day-to-day life, when we get to the fork in the road, we usually know what to do. Not always, but if we practice these habits, we become the kind of people for whom the will of God is second nature. Listen, daily obedience to God helps form us into people who look more and more like Jesus. And this is so important because if you're following in your notes, God's primary will for our lives is not the circumstances we inhabit. It's the person we become in those circumstances. That's why Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians and to us to be a people of hope regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. People who are joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And let me just offer one uh, final thought as we seek to be people who give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission. As we practice these commands to be joyful, prayerful, thankful. These are subversive practices. I mean, can you even imagine how different the lives of the Thessalonians would have looked if they practiced joy, prayer, and thankfulness in a culture of hopelessness? And we can live in such a way that people notice we have a joy that isn't just superficial happiness. It is a deep-rooted joy that we live with a daily dependence on God, that we're thankful even when our circumstances would tell a different story. And living in this way, friends, living in this way in the midst of a culture that is angry and divisive and struggling with a lack of hope, it is a way to shine the light of Jesus for people to see. We need to practice these impossible commands and step into them to become more like Jesus so that other people can hear the good news of Jesus. So let's read this one more time together. One more time, full voice as we close. This is what we're commanded. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen. As we enter into a time of taking communion together, something interesting about these verses is that the subject and the verbs are all plural. 
They're plural, so you all, my Southern friends, or if you're a Southerner here today, you would say something like, y'all be a community of celebration. Y'all be a community of rejoicing. Y'all be a community of prayer. Y'all be a community of thankfulness and gratitude. And while these are to be the marks of an individual Christian's life, they're to be the marks of a church gathered. And we practice these when we gather every week. And as we step into taking communion, we're going to practice them as well. We'll take communion together and then we'll sing together as we practice joy, prayer, thanksgiving. The word for communion in Greek is Eucharist, which actually means thanksgiving. So we wanna give you the gift of just a, a minute this morning before we practice communion together to silently reflect and choose joy and give thanks. So right now, whether you're in this room or on your couch in the living room, where can you offer your silent thanks and gratitude in prayer for God's character and his promises? Take a moment to silently name those right now. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.